want to give you a little, just for our last message here on the whole series of Exodus, I wanted to kind of, with that video, just show you kind of where we are and where we've gone through in this 13-week journey. And I believe that this message today is the most important. Here's the reason why I believe that. There's something that, that we might see as we look back in the book of Exodus and we think, well, we're not really like the Israelites. And how does this story really have to relate to, to what I'm going through, what I'm experiencing today? And I want you to understand this morning that everything that we see in the book of Exodus, from the tabernacle to the way God relates to Israel, has to deal with us today because everything from that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus today. And there's something that God desires of you more than anything else. There's something that God wants from you more than anything else. And I know sometimes we can look at the book of Exodus and just kind of look at it as well. Okay, it's where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments and there's all these rules and regulations that they're not supposed to do. But there is a reason why God gave them these rules and regulations. There's a reason why God gave them the law. And here's the reason why. God desired more than anything else is to have a relationship with them and dwell among them and live within them. He wanted his presence to be with them. And, and I think the Israelites missed that. I think there was an issue where they understood the rules, but they, they completely didn't understand that there's this presence thing that God wanted to dwell within them. And that's, and that's really what I want to deal with today. Because I think, I think for all of us here today, we would say, yeah, I, I want the God thing. I want the blessing thing, but do I really want God? Do, do I just want him? Or, or is it the benefits that, that come with it? It's, it's, it's kind of this, whether I own something or, or I don't own something. It, it makes a difference when you actually own something, right? There's more of this responsibility. When you actually own something in comparison to renting something or this or borrowing something, when that something is your own, and you try to instill this to your kids, right? You know, they live in your house and they use everything. And when you buy it and, and you own it, there's this greater responsibility. And you're trying to teach it to your kids. And all of a sudden, your kids kind of get it when they start getting a job and they start making their own money and they have to buy their own things. That's where I'm at in my house right now. I got two in college. Please pray for me. <laughs> College is so expensive. Can I hear an amen from anybody? Just a little sympathy there. Thank you. Um, and so all of a sudden, when they have to start buying their own things, they're like, what, what, what? Really? You know, because they've got to own it. How many of you remember your first car? Somebody just yell out your first car. Just yell it out. De who said DeSoto? Ruth? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I so bad want to say something right now, Ruth, but I'm not. I thought they only hit horse and buggy back. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just, I'm not going to. DeSoto, okay. Oh, that was so good. Okay, so I want to show you my first car. Here's my first car. 1988 and a half Ford Escort GT. Four cylinders of fun. That could go zero to 60 in about 10 minutes, but it was cool looking. That was my first, I bought it brand new and I got to drive it my senior year to college down to school. And I tell you what, man, I was, I was the man on camp. People were like, wow, man, you got a new car. Because I, other what, before that, 
three years at college in Florida, I had my 10-speed bike that I had from sixth grade. That's how I got around. So this was a huge upgrade for me. And the reason why this car, I know cars are not investments. We all know that, right? But how many know having a car is fun? Especially when you have a car that you like. And I love this car. The reason why this car was an investment for me is that this is the car that got me Kathleen. So it was worth it for me. This is the car that got Kathleen. So for me, this car was an investment. How many remember when you got your first car, you were like, you, you took care. It was different, right? You want, it was your baby. You wanted to wash it. You wanted to take care of it. All of a sudden, there's this ownership thing in comparison to borrowing your parents' DeSoto, right? It was different, right? There's a difference there. There was this ownership mentality. And here's what God wanted to do with Israel. He wanted to change their mindset from just this God that does things for them, that just water out of a rock, manna from heaven, parting the Red Seas. And there was this kind of mentality with Israel, like, okay, God does all this stuff for us, but God wanted them. God wanted them more than anything else, not just the things he could do for them, but he wanted them to realize that he was there for them always. It's this covenant that he set up with their forefathers. It was this covenant that he wanted to share and show through them that I am your God that I want to live among you, that my presence from heaven can dwell right amongst you within the tabernacle that's set up within your midst. God wanted to know them and he wanted them to know him. And so what happens in this section of Exodus is, is really very sad. And we, we talked about this last week. And here's what makes it sad. Israel does the very thing that God asked them not to do. So at the mountain, they're, they're waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain after speaking with God. We saw that in the video. And they get antsy. And so Aaron makes this golden calf for them to worship. And Moses comes down from the mountain. And, and all kind of sin is going on. And God angers, burns against Israel. And he basically just wants to do away with them. He says, I, I'm done. I'm done. I just, I want to just, just do away with them. And so what Moses does is he intercedes and God relinquishes. But what happens next is very, very sad. And this is what I want to read because this is where we are as we just kind of finish up the series in Exodus. If you've got your Bibles, you're looking at the screens here. I'm going to look at Exodus chapter 33. And I first want, we're going to kind of look through this whole chapter, but I want to first look at the first four verses. And here's what, here's what happens. So you, you've, you've, got, you've got this golden calf issue. It's horrible. God just wants to destroy them. And here's the conversation that God has with Moses. It said, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. Verse two is disheartening to me because what God does is he relinquishes from actually destroying Israel but listen to what he says here. He says, I will send an angel before you. And he says, I'm going to drive the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, uh, Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I'm going to drive those all out for you. And he goes, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the promise. And this is what I promised you all the way back to Abraham. I'm going to send an angel before you. I'm going to drive out inhabitants. It's this land of milk and honey. But listen to what he says next. 
But I will not what? I'm not going to go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Now, every single one of us, that should make us think for a moment. Every single one of us should say, what is going on here? God is going to give them all the blessings, but he's not going to go with them. What does that mean? This means everything. So here you have this dialogue with God and Moses, and it's coming right after the golden calf fiasco. And here's the problem with Israel. Israel can't live with God, yet they can't live without him. Right? Some of your marriages can describe that way. I can't live with them. I can't kill them. I mean, I can't live without them. You know, it's, it's, it's... See, this is also a struggle with our walk with God. It's, we may say, well, it's very, it, you know, pastor, it's so hard to live for God. I feel like I make too many mistakes. The demands to live this true Christian life is so overwhelming at times. Yet at the same time, we can't live with God. And living without God thinks unthinkable to face eternity without God would be terrifying And see, this would be the problem of Israel. They can't live with God, yet the thought of him not being with them is overwhelming. And so what God tells Moses, he says, listen, I made a promise. I'm going to hold to my promise. I made an oath to Abraham that I would lead you into the promised land. I will keep my promise. I will send an angel before you. However, I will not go with you. My presence, this is what he's literally saying, my presence will not go with you. That, that fire by day, uh, you know, the, the, the fire by night and the cloud by day, you're not going to see me. That's not going to be there. My, the, the tabernacle that's set up amongst you in the midst of all your camping and, and you're moving in the wilderness, that's gone. That's done. You just go and I'll send the angel but I'm not going with you. You see, why is the golden calf incident such a big deal? You see, before this incident occurred, God gave instruction to Moses to construct a tabernacle. The tabernacle was the tent that could be moved with them within the desert. This tabernacle just means tent. It was mobile. Everybody had a job to do. And when God's, when God's presence moved, they were to move with it and break camp, and then move out through the wilderness. So the, 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 the tent or the tabernacle was the most important thing in this, in, in this whole situation because this meant that God was with them. This is where God's presence dwelt. This is where the sacrifices were made. This is where their sins were atoned for. And so this is, this is why God told them to make the tabernacle. The tabernacle is where God's presence would, would, would reside. The tabernacle would be in the center of their camp. This is why God said back in Exodus 25, 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. The sanctuary symbolized God's presence among them. I'm going to dwell among you within this sanctuary. So here's the most, here's the important thing. As the golden calf situation is going on and all kind of sin and immorality is going on at the foot of the mountain, At that very same time, God is giving instructions to Moses on how the tabernacle would be built and what would be in it and how they would worship him. And at the very same time as God is giving them their instructions on this tabernacle where his presence would dwell, where they could approach God and they could offer their sins and their sins could be atoned for, where God would be with them at the very same time 
They're worshiping the golden calf the very same time. And so now God tells Moses, listen, I'm not, I'm not going with them. I'm not going to dwell among them. I want you to forget about the tabernacle. That is done. It's over with. Just forget about it. See, I want you to realize this word dwell literally means that God would, would, would erect his tent right before them. I'm going to live in this tent. I'm going to dwell in this. But God's not going to dwell with them now at this point. And the reason why God is not going to go with them is for the reason that he might destroy them. Now, it was interesting. Not too long ago, I heard two little sisters arguing in the church. It was kind of cute. And they were bickering back and forth. And the one sister goes, Mom, Mom, I'm going to the car so I won't regret something that I might do. And then she just goes out in the car. I said, that is a, that's a smart girl. And see, this is what God's saying. He goes, I'm not going to go with them because if I do, I'm going to destroy them. So at face value, these first verses in chapter 33 don't sound so bad as you look at the face value. It actually sounds like a good deal. God will be faithful to his promise. We get the promised land flowing with milk and honey. We get the blessings of God without getting God himself. Hmm. It's, it's kind of like secular dating today, right? It, it, it's kind of like that. You can have all the fun. You can sleep around. Yet you don't have to, it, with the strings, don't come with the lifelong commitment. Now, would you take that offer from God? You say, okay, yeah, we can, well, we're still going to go to the promised land. Angel's going to go with us, but your presence is going to be with us, but we're going to still get all the same thing. It's, it's like saying, God, I'll take all the blessings, but I, I'm not going to take you. See, here's the thing. I'm afraid that's how we can treat God. It's more like dating God than actually being committed to God. See, there's the difference. Yes, God would bless them and God would do incredible things for them. But what God wanted to instill in the hearts of the Israels, he wanted them to want him more than anything else. See, this is where I've got to get in the place of my commitment to God. God, do I want you more than anything else or am I just serving you because of the blessings? And can I just be honest with you? We're blessed. You're blessed. Come on a couple missions trips with me and see how blessed that you are. And one of the things that disturbs me and that God always does a work in my heart on every single missions trip that we go on is when you look at the lack of maybe material blessings that we compare to the way we live in comparison to the way maybe other people live in other countries. What's interesting to me is that there's no lack of commitment to God just because maybe the material blessings aren't there that I see when we go on missions trips to other countries. In fact, sometimes I see this, that there's more of a zeal, zeal for God. In, in the midst of not having all the material blessings, and I call them sometimes trappings that we have here. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that there's this hunger for Christ. There's this hunger beyond the, the material things that I see when we go on trips overseas.
See, we, we all want God to bless us, right? We all want God's blessings. But think for a moment, think of, think of all the benefits that we have that we want from God. We want God's forgiveness. We want God to protect us. We want God to protect me from the road, from other drivers or whatever. I want God to heal me. I want God to give me a good job. I want a good marriage. I want God to protect my, all my kids. I, I, you know, we want all these blessings. Of God. We pray for these blessings of God. And it's not wrong to pray for these things, but we want all the blessings from God. But the question is this, do I want God? And I think sometimes the blessings of God can blur our relationship with God sometimes. See, I want the benefits, but do I want God? I'll take God. I'll give you my prayers. I want your blessings, but do I want you? See, in a marriage, there are sacrifices we must make. We, we have to make changes in our lives. I just can't come and go as I please. We all know that the single life is over. Now, I know I just made marriage sound really bad, but it's wonderful. Right, all married people? It's wonderful. Can I hear an amen? For anybody who gets crazy out there, okay? It's wonderful. But the question I need to ask myself is this. Am I dating God? Is it a casual relationship? Do I want the blessings, but not really the commitment? If, if I want the presence of God, then my life needs to change in order to have the presence of God. See, what Israel does is they hear this news. And they hear the news, and then they begin to mourn, which is a good thing. They begin to mourn, and they see what it would be and what a loss it would be if God removed his presence from them. And so what Moses does is he then intercedes on behalf of himself and Israel. And Moses knows what is at stake if God does not go with them. You see, this is Israel's wake-up call. And I think all of us at one time or another need wake-up calls. And they come in many ways, whether it's health issues or accidents or job loss or whatever it may be. They, they come to get our attention. They come and they give us a fresh perspective on what's really important. Isn't it amazing when we see this horrific shooting in the United States and how it changes our perspective over what has been going on the last two weeks? It's like, really? All this shenanigans and stupidity. And all of a sudden, something like that happens. And it shakes us. And it should shake us. And it causes us to realize what's really most important here. It puts things into perspective. It, it causes us to look at what's really important. And so now Moses has this conversation with God. And it, and it shows the, the heart of Moses and, and what's really at his relationship. And, and, and really it shows the heart of Moses and what he really cares about. So let's, I want to look at the last half of of Exodus 33. And, and let's, let's look at this conversation. This is an amazing conversation of now Moses isn't perfect, but it shows the heart of Moses and how he desires to have God's presence more than anything else. And I want to read this to you uh, verses 12 through 33. And I love this. This is probably my favorite part of all of Exodus. It, it, here's the reason why it is is that Moses wants God more than anything else. 
I love this section. So let me, let me read it for you. Verse 12. It says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Now he goes to him, he says, remember that this nation is your people too. At this point, God, Moses isn't separating himself from the people. He's including all of them together. And then verse 14, the Lord replies, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What, what's going on there is God saying, I'm going to go with you, but I'm not going to go with those other people. I'll go with you but I'm not going to go with them. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with, who does he include? Us, meaning all of them. Do not send us up from here. Wow. What an amazing statement by Moses. He goes, how will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people, people unless you go with us? What else? will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. Then Moses says this. This is my favorite part in all of Exodus. Moses says, now show me your glory. He wanted to know God personally. When he says, show me your glory, he says, what he's saying there is, I want to see you face to face. I remember when Lily was little and I would be distracted when she's like four or five and she'd be playing dolls or something and, and, and I'd be distracted looking at the TV or whatever. And it was always during a Bills game. She'd always want to talk to me during a Bills game. I'm like, give me a second. There's play after the commercial, right? She'd and I remember one time she just grabbed my face. And she said, Daddy, look at me. She, was, she said, I need your face. And what Moses is saying here is, God, I need your face. I need your face, God. I want to I see your glory. I want to I know who you are. Show me your glory. And then the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Verse 20, I like this too, because what God says is, listen, you can't see me face to face or you'll die. So there's still that, yes, God, I want to see you personally, but God says, but there's still my holiness. So I'm going to protect you from that so you don't die in my presence. I love that about God. He's showing his, yeah, I'm a personal God, but I'm also a holy God. I, I love that, that God doesn't, that God shows him both sides. Verse 20, but he says, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live because of his holiness. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock
and cover you with my hand until I pass by. He protects Moses from dying from that holiness, but he wants, he, he, he wants to have that personal relationship with him. And he said, then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. See, God meets the reply and response to the reply of Moses, uh, of Moses at this point. And so God tells Moses, listen, I'll go with you, but you alone. But then Moses intercedes. And he says, listen, God, not just for me, but for your people. It's not enough that you go with me. I need to know that you're going to go with your people also. And the encounter that Moses has with God is just incredible because Moses is not perfect. He, he will make a lot of mistakes, not even able to go into the promised land. But what he does at this moment shows his heart for God. Look at this statement. The statement's in your notes, but look at the statement. It says, it says what, what Moses does here is Moses turns down God's blessings if it meant that God would not go with them. Moses actually turns down the blessings if it meant his presence wouldn't go with him. And I think that's what God responds to. God sees his heart and sees that he truly wants to know him. And not only that, but Moses turns down God's presence if it meant it was only for him and not for Israel. So I want you to understand this. God tells him, I, I might wipe out Israel and all Moses cares about is God's presence in his life and in the people of Israel. God says, I might wipe them out if I, I'm going to wipe, if I go with you, I might wipe them out. He, Moses doesn't care. He cares more about the presence of God than anything else. And this just speaks to me because all Moses wants is to see God and know God's glory. All he wants is God. Have, have you ever talked to somebody and they're just really interested in you and they ask you questions about yourself? They don't turn the conversation around to, them, to, to themselves or, or similar stories. They don't try to one-up your story. They, they're generally interested in you and they're not trying to get something from you. They're just interested in you. Those, those people are amazing to me. I, I love hanging out with those type of people, right? They're just interested in you. That's quite, how are your kids doing? How are things going? How are you feel? I just, you know, I just, they're generally interested in you. And this is what Mo, Moses is like, God, I want you more than anything else, more than anything else that you can do for me. I want you. And that was the presence of God. There's something I learned very early in the, in, in the ministry. And here's what I learned. I always was worried about when someone was going through a very tragic time, what would I say? So you go into this hospital room or, or someone's house and someone dies. And I was always would get so panicky, like, God, give me the right words or give me the right scripture verse that I might say and to try to help this person. I was always just like, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Have you ever felt that way when someone's going through something, a real tragic thing? You just don't want to say the wrong thing, right? Or you don't want to just give someone a pat answer or just some... Band-Aid scripture, right? You, you, you get worried about that. I would worry about that all the time. And, and I learned something early in ministry. It's, it's not so much what you say, but just being there sometimes. Just being present sometimes is most important. I, I rarely hear people say, 
man, pastor, it's what you said that really helped me. Those were just wonderful words. But what I hear is this. Thank you for coming. Thank you for for being here. Being present. Being present. I think sometimes makes all the difference. When my wife and I lost our first child, I, I think back, you know, so many years ago, I don't really remember anything anybody ever said to me, maybe one person, but you know what I remember? I remember all the people that just kind of sat with me and hung out with me and just, how you doing, Barden? What's going on? And just kind of, just let me, let me be, let me work through the, just the, the mourning process. It was those people that just kind of were just there that were your friends. That's what I remember. See, and that's what Moses wants. Moses, listen, if your presence is not going to go with us, then it's not going to work. We, I want you. We want you. Mike McKinley makes this really interesting observation. And here's what, here's what Mike McKinley says. He says, it's worth asking ourselves, if heaven gave me everything, the job, the girl, the guy, the car, the escort, GT, the health, the wealth, but Jesus wasn't there. Would I be content there? Or if if heaven, God gave me nothing except Jesus, would I be satisfied? Deep down, I think I often answer yes and no. That's because I love other things too much. And I love the Lord Jesus far, far too little. You see, heaven is great, but something far much greater is there, which is Jesus. And here's the test for us. If I only love Christ for the blessings, then my faith will falter when life gets difficult. See, that's the test. The test for me for my devotion for the Lord is when life gets tough and things don't go my way, where is my faith? Does it falter? See, if I truly desire God, then I will also walk, will also walk through the flames of time. And, but will I still love God when things don't go my way or when things, you know, are withheld from me? Do I still want God when he disciplines me, when he calls me out of sin? Do I still want God when I'm confronted with my waywardness? See, God hears Moses's plea in verse 17. And this is the encounter that Moses has with God that gives us into insight into what Christ actually did for us. So let me, let me bring this right to Jesus because this is what Jesus does for us. Moses actually turns down the very presence of God if it meant that it would only be for him alone. And here's what Jesus does for us. Jesus on the cross experienced God's absence for us. Jesus was literally forsaken in order that we might know God and know his presence. Everybody say amen. It's a great statement there. Jesus actually leaves heaven. He leaves God's presence so that we might know God and experience him. Jesus gives up everything that we might experience God and know him personally. Jesus opens the door for us that we might now come into the presence of God 
with thankfulness, with confidence, knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Jesus, I want you because you've done everything for me that I might experience a relationship with God that was broken because of my sin. So now we are no longer enemies with God, but we're actually friends with God all because of what Jesus Christ did for us. That This is the true and better Moses. Moses stood in the gap for Israel that God would not leave them. Jesus stands in the gap for us that God's anger and judgment would not would not come towards us anymore. Jesus does that for us. More than anything else, Moses wanted to see God's glory. He just wanted God. There's this song that came out some years ago. It's actually an old Negro spiritual. And the song is called Give Me Jesus. Now, there's a, there's a songwriter that, that updated the song. It was by Fernando Ortega, and it's probably one of my favorite songs. If I'm driving in the car and you see me crying, I'm listening to this song. And um, I went on YouTube just to listen, because I, I did some research on the, the old Negro spiritual, and I, I heard some people singing the song in the old Negro spiritual, and it is so powerful. See, basically the song just says, I don't care what else goes on in my life. I don't care what I'm going through. I don't care what I'm faced with or the trials that I might have. Just give me Jesus. Just give me him. You see, sometimes we can't fix stuff. And we we try to run to all these things to try to fix our brokenness when at the end of the day, all we need is Jesus. See, that's what Moses got. Because listen, we could have all the blessings We could be living in the promised land. You could drive out all the enemies. You could give us the milk, the honey, all the good stuff. But if your presence isn't there, it's all meaningless, isn't it? And what I love about this song is just the words. It says, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You, you can have all this world, but just give me Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to remain seated. Annie and Katie are going to sing the song for us. And I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know what you're battling with today. I don't know what disappointments you're battling with today. I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I can tell you this, that all you need is Jesus. When you have his presence in your life, it doesn't matter what you may go through. We know that we are more than overcomers through Jesus Christ because he overcame everything for you and I. 
that the hope for you and I now is the empty grave. The hope for you and I now is, is, is the empty cross. Jesus conquered all for you and I, and our ultimate hope is that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us for those who put their faith in him. So I want you, as this song is played, to respond to Jesus how you may want to respond to him today. And may our heart of hearts just say, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus in the midst of this hardship. Give me Jesus through what I'm going through. Jesus, I just need you. I need your presence. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know how things are going to work, work out, but, but I just need you. At the end of the day, I just need you, Jesus. Give me your presence. That's what God wants from you. That's what Moses wanted from God. And God did show Moses his glory. Let Jesus' presence dwell deep within you. That's where he wants to reside, even in the midst of your trials today. Give me Jesus. Lord, as we just bow our hearts here today, and as we just come before you today and we sing this song, may we respond to you. I pray for your people today and what they're going through. You know what they're going through, but we need Jesus today. I don't know where everybody is spiritually here today, but I pray that we would respond to you. You don't cast out anyone that comes to you, Jesus, and you want to receive us and heal us and forgive us. So we need you today, Jesus. So may we respond to you today and give us Jesus. Amen.